It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. And he brought the A to Vegas. He brought the A to the Super Bowl. Hey, he did what needed to be done, man. We needed that. I don't think that was a top five all-time uh, halftime performance, but it was exactly what it was supposed to be. Yes. Like, both those things can be true. Me and my friends that were watching on our couch – Yesterday, that big fancy couch that's become its own character on the show. Um, when Luda came on, I don't think there was a single butt cheek on that couch anymore. <laughs> Everyone was just like, oh, because you, you knew. I called Alicia Keys earlier in the week. Man, that was a fantastic yeah. halftime show. Everything that it should have been. Uh, it had Jermaine Dupree. I mean, come on. Man, his fit was a little crazy, though. Like a lot of razzle dazzle. Definitely there. thought he was CeeLo at first. <laughs> he did look a little bit like CeeLo. A little bit? I was like, where'd the tattoo go on his head? Oh, that's Jermaine Dupree. That's not CeeLo. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I don't know how much to talk about the half in the show, but there is plenty of football to talk about. And I do you want to say before we uh, hit the fancy first and 10 imaging for one final time this season, I do want to say that there is big news on the monumental sports to Virginia front. Eric Flack, one of the folks who broke it, Flack will join us coming up at 4.30, our friend from WUSA 9. Uh, is this thing going to get across the finish line? I am starting to have more doubts, and I had more doubts than most people when it started. So we will talk to Flack coming up uh, in the 4 o'clock hour a little bit later. Right now, though, for the final time in the 2023-24 season, it's time for First and Ten. It's time to get the breakdown started. First up, 10 observations. It's first and 10. We start with the place that we have to start. We start with Patrick Mahomes because this is ultimately about him. The fact that he is inevitable. The fact that he just is that guy in a way that we have only had a select few that guys in the history of this game. Patrick Mahomes is 28 years old, and if he retired today, he'd be a first. They'd run Pacheco up the middle again, and now it's fourth and one. They come out of that timeout, and they get a monster, monster conversion on fourth and one. Super Bowl could have ended right there. All right, that's that's great. Mahomes finds Valdez Scantling for what should be, uh, or it doesn't, it doesn't end. So great for Kansas City, bad for San Francisco. Uh, finds Valdez Scantling out in the right, the right side. Should have been a gain of six. Instead, he gets his footing as he's being knocked down. Winds up being controlled of himself again. Gets tackled three yards behind the line of scrimmage, and now you're looking at second and thirteen. They get uh, seven of it right back, and then on third and six, Mahomes gets another conversion. Uh, they trickle the ball down the field again, so much so that Kyle Shanahan calls a timeout on defense to tell Steve Wilkes, stop playing this soft doo-doo coverage, get out of it. By the way, at this point, Mahomes, zero incompletions. Spoiler alert, he wouldn't have one on the drive. Finds Pacheco, scrambles up the middle again for 13. Pacheco on another short gainer. Mahomes to Kelsey on that middle screen, and then he finds Miko Hartman on Corndog for the touchdown. So on the final drive, that is a scramble for a first down conversion, a completion for a first down conversion on third down, 
and a fourth and six conversion where he, or sorry, a fourth and one conversion where he's the runner. That was Patrick Mahomes in the biggest moment of his career. And that is Patrick Mahomes in every other big moment of his career. The inevitability of him is stunning. And to execute this consistently on this stage is Brady-esque, Jordan-esque, and I don't know how many others fit that bill. Um, Despite his reputation, LeBron is pretty damn close to having that, where it just seems like, especially recently, um, in this back half of his career, once he broke the seal on his championships, he's always up for the moment. Now, he's lost some championship games, but, I mean, he's lost some championship series where he's been the best player on the floor. He does not come up short. He has been a part of the team that is not the Golden State Warriors. But Steph has gotten to this level where in the biggest playoff moments, he has also been able to to figure out how to be that guy. Um, there, there's just an inevitability to Mahomes in the absolute biggest moment where he's calm. He gives that little, like, hey, give me the play. All right, I, I in completion or on other drives, not that one. Um, just come on, give me the play. Let's go. What's next? And that confidence is irreplaceable. It is it is truly remarkable and, and something that, you know, we talk about the analytics. We talk about, you know, feelings and, and emotion. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, like psychology is extra- extraordinarily powerful. And there is extensive research on what confidence does for people, what belief does for people, what hope does for people. And if Mahomes is your quarterback, you have the ultimate confidence. You have the ultimate hope. because And, and it's just going to cause everyone to execute better. And seeing him execute that final drive to literal perfection is just truly remarkable. It is what makes him him. And there, there is not enough praise in the Like, there's not a thing you could say about Patrick Mahomes that isn't true in terms of heaping praise. And that includes that he's the greatest of all time. Now, I don't. Th- I guess the one thing you'd have to hold on, and this is a matter of longevity because he is only 28, is that he has not had the career that Montana had, that Brady had, that some others, but really if you look at it statistically, it's pretty much those two, have had in terms of longevity of success. But in terms of peak of his powers, in terms of winning efficiency, he's the best to ever do it. And that includes Brady. And I realize that that efficiency is probably going to drop. Brady started as hot as Mahomes did and then ultimately has a 10-year gap between going on another run like what Patrick just did. So this is, again, I'm not saying that that Mahomes has already passed Brady. What I would tell you is that if I had to take either one to win a game, I'd take Mahomes, and I know how freaking good Brady is. Number two. When you talk about the legacy for Mahomes, uh, I already touched on some of this, but there's actually more, which is crazy. So Mahomes has made, in the six years that he has been a starting quarterback, he's made four Super Bowls. It's worth mentioning that he would have made a fifth if D. Ford hadn't lined up offsides. That's how close he was to being that much closer to perfect. Uh, in the Super Bowls, the only one that he has lost, he's now won three of the four that he has made, was to Tom Brady, and it happened in a game where Mahomes uh, didn't get a whole lot of help. He was fantastic uh, in that game, made a bunch of plays, had some iconic moments. Remember the one play where he throws a 50-yard ball in the air. As he's falling, his knuckles pretty much scrape the ground, and in between multiple defenders, it hits Tyreek Hill into the face mask. 
That's Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. Uh, Patrick Mahomes now is tied. is no longer tied. He is in sole possession, third place all time in playoff wins. He has more playoff wins than Peyton Manning and everybody else, not named Joe Montana, who he is one away from. One, one away from Montana, and then Brady, who's in a whole class by himself. Again, the greatness times the longevity there is pretty much unmatched. Um, but there are. 15, I, there's actually really 14, um, I believe, because I, I looked, I was looking at the stats yesterday, and there's like one quarterback who made the list, but it looked like he was a backup. He only had like one passing attempt, but he had uh, nine play, or 10 playoff wins. So 14 to 15, according to Stat Muse, uh, quarterbacks who have 10 or more playoff wins. So if you have nine, you're tied for 15. Patrick Mahomes now has nine playoff wins when he's trailing by seven or more points at some point in the game. Do you realize how absurd that is? He was eight and two going into yesterday. He's now nine and two. Eleven times Patrick Mahomes has been down by a touchdown or more in the playoffs. And he has won nine of those games. And if you just counted them, he would be top 20 all time in quarterback playoff wins. That is stupid. And that is his reality. That is how good this dude is. And again, the consistency of greatness, the consistency of winning in the playoffs. And I think here's one thing that I will say. Again, I'm not trying to diminish Brady. Brady's the GOAT. Like, put the package together. Peak greatness is right there with Mahomes. I would take Mahomes, but Brady, like, it's a 1A, 1B situation. They do it very differently. But damn it, they got it done. And then the longevity of Brady is just unmatched in a way that like, it's it's a LeBron versus Jordan argument. Kind of LeBron is Brady, Jordan is Mahomes, if you will. Um, I think that's actually, maybe that's even a better comparison than I realized the more I think about it. We'll maybe revisit that later in the week. But the point is, like, Brady early in his career kind of relied on the defense and actually wasn't that spectacular. Also, the game, the style of the game was different. It wasn't as quarterback-driven as it is now. Mahomes is the reason they are winning these games. Now, they this season is different for the Chiefs in a way that we'll talk about in terms of their defense in a moment. But it is, like, the, the, the significance, the weight of Mahomes' impact on these games where he is the reason they win, the driving force of greatness is just... I think it's pretty much unmatched in NFL history. And I was rooting for San Francisco. I wanted them to win. Um, but am I going to enjoy the greatness that is right in front of me? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Because what an idiot I would be as a fan of this game if I didn't. That's uh, that's where we start first in 10. Two thoughts on Mahomes. We'll get to the others, including some thoughts on his number one target, some thoughts on this defense, some thoughts on Kyle Shanahan and his decision-making next. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. A little bit later this hour, Eric Flack from WUSA 9 on the latest with Monumental. I think we're going to shift him back from 430 to 445 as he's got 
TV duty, uh, you know, the job that pays him. Uh, we're just very happy to have Eric go come on with us as a guest on the phone. Uh, but his live shot uh, is getting pushed back a little bit in WSA 9's newscast. So uh, we will talk to Eric when he is done on television, taking a break between live shots on television on big news that Monumental's plan has been shot down in the Senate to relocate to Virginia. Now, this doesn't mean it's dead, but what does it mean? Eric will tell us coming up in just a little bit. Continuing on now, though, with our final first and 10 of the year, Super Bowl edition, 10 thoughts. Our first two were on Patrick Mahomes. Uh, number three is going to be about his number one target. Number three. Travis Kelsey feels as inevitable as Mahomes in some ways. His first half last night was not very good. One catch, one bump of his coach, which I don't think was actually that big of a deal. I know it looked really bad, but I, I if I'm being honest, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, something that happens occasionally with competitors and Mahomes and or, uh, Reed and Kelsey have a ton of respect for each other. Anyway, point is, uh, one, one, one bump of his coach, one target, one catch, one yard. And I eventually just, like at halftime and early in that third quarter, as they started getting involved, I was like, I feel like they went in at halftime and went, all right, let's get back to what we do. This isn't working. Whatever our game plan was, just new game plan, fine 87. And damn, does he deliver. I mean, his highest recorded speed in years, literally like six or seven years, was on that final play of regulation where he destroyed that San Francisco safety. He caught that crossing route, got upfield. I was like, oh my God, is he about to complete this fairy tale of his and score the game-winning touchdown as time expires? No, he gets tackled out of bounds, dislocating the shoulder. Uh, it felt like, uh, I don't know what actually wound up happening to Brown, the safety from the 49ers, but yikes, man. Uh, but big play after big play, has the big catch to set up the game-winning touchdown. I mean... That dude is, uh, again, and it's the consistency over time versus the peak greatness. If I had to pick one tight end for one game, I'd probably still pick Gronk. But you tell me I got a, a three seasons to fill, I'm picking Kelsey. Like, his consistency is remarkable, and his high level is remarkable, and his ability to focus. And apparently, he gave a tremendous speech Saturday night. And the fun he has after singing Viva Las Vegas, like, what a delight. Um, I know a lot of people are not liking him right now for a variety of reasons. I'll choose to enjoy the greatness. I'll choose to enjoy him being fun. And I'll choose to enjoy the fact that he seems to have the right attitude about all of it. Um, from the competitiveness and, and how bad he wants it to how he, com how he competes in the game. To the way he's handled the fame, his relationship, having fun with it. But in a way that's respectful. Like, I know some people don't like it because whatever. I, I thoroughly enjoy the Travis Kelsey experience in all ways, and um, I'm very excited for his podcast this week, to say the least. Number four. Number four, though, is the guy that probably could have limited him. I don't know that we'll ever be able to properly put into the context the loss of Dre Greenlaw in this game. What a terrible, within the football context, tragedy that happened running onto the field blow your Achilles you're not only out for the Super Bowl but probably a ton of next year but Jesus man you're out for the Super Bowl in a freak accident where you're just running on the field and your cleat whatever it is gets caught in a bad way the right amount of pressure and goodbye to the Achilles and he 
Not only is he a great player, but there is a heart and soul element to him, a physicality that he brings that was gone when he was gone. And in that second half, especially, the Chiefs started to pick on his backup. So it was a play thing, but also the physicality and kind of the the maniacal way that Dre Greenlaw plays was there in that first quarter. And you're like, man, I don't know if Kansas City's got the answers to this. If they can get their offense going, it's going to be a Niners win. All of a sudden, he's out. Would Kansas City have found a way to, to get some productivity? Of course, they're them. But hard to overstate how big of a loss Dre Greenlaw is within that game, and especially when it happens in the game, right? Because that means the his backup, Burks, didn't get a ton of reps in terms of practice and things like that. You don't prepare for Like, you do prepare, but you don't. It'd be different if you lost him in the AFC or the NFC Championship game and Burks was was there and they had a plan. But now San Francisco's got to adjust. And if they could have just stuck with what they were doing, what they were doing was damn effective. Number five. Number five. All right, let's let's talk about it. Kyle Shanahan. Um, there's one decision that I didn't like from him in this game and one decision that I don't mind. And I will admit, I second-guessed the one I don't mind last night on Twitter. You might have seen me say, why would you not take the ball first in or second in overtime what is San Francisco doing and I heard Kyle talk about it after the game and I've heard some analytics folks talk about it and I would still make the opposite decision but it is basically 50 50 whether you take the ball first and then you have the chance to dictate terms and if the other team matches you get the ball third aka the first time that it's truly sudden death Versus what what Kansas City, I think, would have done, which is we're going to take this game sudden death no matter what. We're going to know what we need. If we just need a field goal, great. If we need a touchdown, okay. If we need a touchdown because they got a touchdown, we're going to go for two and there is no going to be no third possession no matter what. That's the route I would go. I would do that second. But there's a lot of risk there. That is a high-risk proposition. And to be able to say, like, we're going to go out there. We're going to trust our defense. We're going to see what we can do on offense. I understand it. What I don't understand is the first three possessions of the second half not running Christian McCaffrey more. And I know Kansas City's defense is really good. I understand what Kyle was doing to an extent. He was trying to break a tendency of being run first. Their running game wasn't particularly effective. They had a couple of nice runs, but a lot of short gains, which was leaving them on average like third and 12. It was nuts. Like their first six or seven third downs of the game, the literal average third down length was third and 12. Kansas City's defense was playing out of its mind. So you try to hit some passes on first and second down. You try to hit some play actions and give Brock Purdy some easier looks to throw into as opposed to these exotic Steve Spagnola third and long blitzes, which did have a really nice effect in the game. I understand it. I think he overdid it. It's not coaching malpractice. It is a mistake. I think that this isn't like Kyle choking or coming up short or I don't think the magnitude of the mistake is as big as maybe his game plan versus the Patriots in the 28-3 game. But it's definitely not ideal. But I also would remind people the biggest reason why the San Francisco 49ers are in the Super Bowl and are competitive and are in overtime is Kyle Shanahan. That, he to me, is the best coach in the league. That didn't change yesterday, even if I didn't love everything that he did. And maybe some of the things where he can still get better did come up. But week in, week out, design, implementation, everything, I still think he's the best coach in the league. That probably pisses some people off. 
I don't know what to tell you. It's my, it's my opinion. Number six. The biggest mistake the San Francisco 49ers have made in an organization, though, is they drafted a kicker in the fourth round. Jake Moody's the difference in the game, and I hate to put it, like, one of the differences. There, now I haven't put it all on this kid. Who's out there trying his best? It's not his fault they drafted him in the fourth round. But Jesus, man, you draft a kicker in the fourth round, he better be nails. That dude better be Sebastian Janikowski. That dude, and who I realized was a first-rounder, but, like, that dude better be Adam Vinatieri. That dude better be Harrison Butker in 2023, the kicker on the other side. Instead, Moody's been upside down, you know, all year, hasn't been consistent, hasn't been reliable, and he, on his own, gets an extra point blocked with an, an a low-line drive that he pulls. I think what you see on the 57-yarder from Butker is a low-line drive through the middle, so that ball gets out clean over the snapper because that's not where the, the dudes are. I mean, Moody pushes it right into the, the hands of the blockers, right into a sea of hands, low, on unnecessarily on a line drive. And think of how much how different that fourth quarter is if that kick is made because now the strategy changed. Going forward on fourth down versus not. You know, field goal versus needing a touchdown and, and how San Francisco plays it with a lead versus not. There's so much that changes on that extra point. And I know there's other stuff in the game, but that is such a big play. And the fact that it happens on a guy who's so tremendously overdrafted to me is like the just a ridiculous failure by an otherwise brilliant and excellent and even model San Francisco franchise. And there is incredible irony Perhaps it's not even irony. Perhaps it is direct cause and effect that that one unbelievably silly decision comes back and bites them in their biggest game. Number seven. All right, quickly flowing through the rest, which we'll get back to some of this stuff later. Just time is running short. Steve Spagnola might be the best big game defensive coordinator ever. What he did with the Giants back in the day, beating Brady, uh, what he's done with Kansas City, um, he's got more rings now as a coordinator than anyone else in the history of the league, which makes sense because kind of the, the trajectory of his career. We talked about it with Graziano last week on Radio Row that because he's in his 60s now, he's probably not getting another head coaching chance. He's just kind of stuck as a coordinator, um, but he's clearly a tremendous, tremendous defensive coordinator where a lot of other guys that have won multiple rings as coordinators ultimately get head coaching jobs. I mean, he his game plan was exceptional. His blitz package was incredible. And the the level that those guys play at, the the how well they are taught is just sensational. Which leads us to number eight. Something I mentioned earlier. The first and second down dominance is why San Francisco's three of whatever they were, 12, I think, on third down. Everyone wants to make it about the third down stat. Look at first and second down. The best way to be good on third down is to either avoid it altogether by getting a first down on first and second down or leave yourself third and short. And San Francisco was in a ton of third and longs, a ton of can't win situations. And then Spagnola dials up really good blitzes. And again, the level of detail, just one example, it was that McDuffie blitz where he comes inside. How often do we see that corner come around the outside and not get home? No, instead, they send the edge wide and loop McDuffie around inside, and he's got a direct shorter line to the quarterback. Those details are what make great blitzes, and they were on it yesterday for San Francisco. 
or for Kansas City and Spags. Number nine. Uh, number nine. Speaking of McDuffie, speaking of Legereus Sneed, that is the best cornerback duo in the league. And that wasn't the case coming into the year. The job that that staff has done, I forgot their DB's coach's name. I'm sorry, but he deserves credit. So everyone go Google his name and then give him a round of applause. What they've done, some high picks, but some lower picks as well. Draft identif- draft by identifying the right traits for your system and scheme. Develop those things, what you want. Give guys clear instruction. Teach up the technique. They've done everything right. What a job by those two DBs who were sensational yesterday and hats off to their coaches for putting them in that position. And then last but not least, a thought that we will chase for the rest of the week. Number 10. Mahomes is one of one. You get one per generation. Brady was the last generation. Mahomes is this guy's generation. And maybe you're lucky enough if you are a Joe Burrow or a Lamar Jackson or a Josh Allen or, you know, pick a quarterback who's actually beaten him in a Super Bowl. Like, maybe you get lucky enough to get one within it. Or if you're Peyton Manning and Brady's generation, you get you get a couple, right? But I think the question you have to ask if you're a team like Washington with the number two pick is, is Mahomes worth chasing? Is it worth just throwing it to the wall and saying, let's see if we can get the next one, knowing there's only one, knowing that even if you get Joe Burrow, he's not Mahomes. Even if you get Lamar Jackson, he's not Mahomes. I think you have to try, but I also, there's part of me that wonders, is is chasing what San Francisco's doing actually a, a better plan? Now, it hasn't paid off in Super Bowls yet, but it, do you give yourself a better chance? Or, and maybe it's a chance at high-profile losses. But, damn. Like, it is it is a pretty fascinating roster-building discussion. And I know the day after the Super Bowl where Mahomes is Mahomes. You know, MVP, again, it seems so obvious. But I, I, I just, I open with Mahomes, I close with Mahomes to, to say this. He's the only one. He is one of one. And maybe Caleb Williams is that guy. Maybe Jaden Daniels is that guy. Maybe Drake May is that guy. And if so, and you get the next one, well, shoot, now you're set. But, but, damn, that's hard to find. And it feels like building up a bunch of other positions might be a little bit easier. And you hope that you catch you catch Mahomes in a in-between cycle where they have to build up the roster post-Kelsey, etc. But we'll see what the next decade of NFL football holds. That's three for Patty Mahomes. That's first and 10 for us. When we get back, uh, a couple of other thoughts on the game. And then Eric Flack joins us to close out the hour. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app with a singing super producer, Anthony Haney. We'll be joined by Eric Flack here in just a few minutes. And uh, Post Malone, uh, not a part of halftime, was there yesterday. Did you see him wearing his Cowboys uh, jacket in the stands? Yeah, I saw him wearing it uh, during the game, but after the game, did you see what he was wearing? Well, I'm, I'm seeing a video right now. That's why I'm bringing it up. Uh, so at the Chiefs after party, of which there are hilarious, hilarious multiple things that happen. Uh, Brittany Mahomes, Patrick's wife, uh, basically takes the jacket from, like, take unbuttons it. It's like, no, you're not wearing this. And takes it off and gives him a Chiefs jacket. And Post Malone's like, one, you get one song. 
you get one song. I'm performing at your party, but you get one song in this in this Chiefs jacket. Um, I do think my favorite video from the post game is whatever club they're at in Las Vegas, uh, and Marshmallow is DJing. Have you seen this video? Dog, you talk about <laughs> where they talk about how Travis Kelsey spent uh, partying last night and how Jason Kelsey spent. So Travis, and it's funny because Rachel, Rachel's definitely not a Swifty. So I start telling her about this and her eyes start rolling back like, what are you telling me this? I, I'm, I don't care. Which again, my whole take on this is simple. Um, if you don't like it, just keep moving. And that's kind of how we do it. We just keep on moving because it's, like, it's not for me, which I will say, well, let me just tell one story at a time. So I start telling her about this and I'm like, no, no, no. It's not about the fact that uh, one of Taylor Swift's songs is playing, Marshmallow, uh, the DJ uh, who, who wears a giant marshmallow on his head. Uh, he He's playing like a, I think it's a love story remix and Travis and Taylor are being all cutesy. There's some smooches happening. They're singing to each other. It's adorable if you're into that kind of thing. And the camera pans to Jason. And Jason is wearing like what I would call like a 1990s wrestling mask. He's Fair? wearing, yeah, like the Rey Mysterio kind yeah, of mask. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Rey Mysterio mask, but it's it's Chiefs colored. He's got his Chiefs shirt on. And he is just full Jersey Shore fist pumping raging raging <laughs> and the you need the Travis and Taylor to fully appreciate the Jason like it's just it's not like it's awesome but it's not nearly as funny if you don't get the 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 Travis Taylor part first yeah i agree um so what's happening though is i'm in on all of the Jason videos and my algorithms don't know the difference so I am getting inundated with Taylor Travis stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I want the ones with Jason in it. And the algorithm can't figure it out. So oh. both my Twitter algorithm and my Instagram algorithm are just a lot of Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey content. Mm -hmm. And as long as it eventually pans to Jason, I'm cool with it. If not, I'm like, all right, no, not that one. Give me the Jason. That dude is having a blast. Yeah, he is. I'm here for all of the Jason Kelsey content. Um, all right, let's take a quick break. Come back. Eric Flack uh, set to join us on all things this massive ma breaking news day on Monumental Sports. How much trouble are they in and their plan to move to Virginia? It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980. Always live as well on the free Odyssey app where Anthony is reliving halftime one song at a time, which, you know, honestly is fine with me. Uh, we got that. We also had the announcement that there's new Beyonce music. So that was really, honestly, a great musical Super Bowl. However, there is actual news and business to get to. Uh, and for that, we bring in our good buddy Eric Flack of WUSA 9. Uh, covers many different things as one of their lead investigative reporters. And uh, specifically gets uh, a lot of stadium intel and information. We've had him on a bunch to talk about the Commander Stadium pursued. But today, Eric, we are talking about the other biggest teams in town. And that would be the Capitals and the Wizards. Because the Virginia State Senate refused to take up a bill in the Finance Committee to say like, hey, we're, we're, we'll look at this, this whole move to Potomac Yards thing. And I guess the, the big question is like, how significant of a hit is this 
to uh to Ted Leonsis and what he wants to do like are are is this still on I guess would be the big like overall overarching yes no uh kind of kind of wall that we're leaning one side or the other on here Craig the answer is yes it's significant um no the deal is not dead okay. um it's of course significant that the Senate Finance Committee won't even consider the bill won't even talk about it right now because there is so much mounting opposition against it. Um, you know, that's that, that would have to change. I make no mistake about it. That no arena, no Potomac Yard arena can get done if that doesn't change. The Senate would have to, it would have to go through the Finance Committee. There is a, there is a huge funding arm of this. It, that would have to change. Um, Monumental called hastily called a, a news conference after all this broke this morning, and they 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 are contending that this is part of the process that they have strong uh, support in the House of Delegates that they are going to be able to get in front of the you know Lucases of the world who is the chair of of the Senate Finance Committee and it has become kind of the face of the opposition of this arena. We're not going to build a billion. Same thing that was happening with Dan Snyder. We're not going to build a billionaire's, you know, playground on the backs of taxpayers, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Monumental believes that they're going to be able to get in front of those people and and convince them to to change their mind. Now, how they do that um, is yet to be seen. You can change the framework of the bill. You can reduce the amount of money you're asking for. You can get Glenn Youngkin to uh, repair the damage he uh, made over the weekend um, when he uh, gave a a partisan speech um, that really called out Democrats, the same Democrats he needs to work with him uh, on this arena. So it's probably a huge tactical mistake by by Youngkin. Um, and, And the Democrats also feel like, you know, that he has not done enough to negotiate with them. You know, this is a huge investment in Northern Virginia. Virginia is a big state and it's not all as rich as Northern Virginia is. And there are um, politicians and constituents um, who, who, who do not um, want to send that much money to, to Alexandria and Fairfax County without saying, what are you doing for us? What are you doing, you know, uh, for our, uh, you know, constituents? What are you doing for these other other parts of the state? So it's a, it's a huge blow. Um, but, you know, now it's up to Monumental to see if they can put this deal back together. So I guess th- there's so much to talk about here. Um, the first thing I would ask is, is this purely about the money? At, I mean, obviously, today's news is about the money, right? Because you have mm-hmm. the finance committee refusing to take this up. But there's also all of these questions about the actual infrastructure and the metro needing to be redone and the the traffic around National Airport. How much of the objections here are substantive, non-financial versus just what you kind of where you ended there of saying this is about the money that would be going from Virginia taxpayers to Northern Virginia slash into Ted Leonsis's pockets? I I think there's concerns about everything. I think there is a growing belief. Everybody's just kind of still digesting this. And I think the further and further we get away from that announcement, 
people really feel like, and politicians really feel like, Youngkin sprung this on them, that he did not do enough uh, outreach um, with Leontes to get a broad coalition to come together to, to support this plan before introducing it. And so I, I, it's easy to talk about the money, but I think there's politics involved here. Again, I think when Youngkin gives a very partisan speech over the weekend, Democrats are like, whoa, 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 you, you, we're supposed to be working together. You need our help on this deal. And here you are calling us out and, you know, um, you know, casting, throwing stones at us. This, this, that's not going to work. So then you get to fall back on the traffic, um, all, all the other issues. Um, but, you know, like, does, does, does Senator Lucas from, you know, Portsmouth or whatever care that, that, that there's going to be increased congestion in, in and around Alexandria and, and that the metro is all screwed up? Like, I, I don't see them giving um, a, a darn about, uh, you know, things like traffic because it doesn't really affect them. That's really a local problem. I, I do think it's about, you know, the fact that there has not been enough done to prove that this huge investment is going to help the entire state of Virginia. And the legislature represents the entire state of Virginia. It's not the Northern Virginia state legislature. It is the Virginia state legislature. And I think they thought that they would finally have a plan with an owner who wasn't as objectionable as Dan Snyder to bring professional sports to Northern Virginia. And I think they thought it was going to be a slam dunk, pun, pun intended. And I think they're now finding out that they were wrong and that they miscalculated. No, no they've now missed an empty netter or something. I, I don't know. My hockey analogies <laughs> are not as strong, and I felt like we needed to represent everyone. Uh, Eric Flack is with us on w, or from WUSA 9 here on the Hoffman Show. Because, uh, Eric, the reason I ask that, too, is because, and I would highly recommend um, to p folks, if they want even more on this, our time with Eric is going to be a little bit shorter, probably, because he's got to get back on television uh, at shortly after the top of the hour. Um, but I, you did a great job earlier talking with Grant and Danny about some of the details. So I'm, I'm essentially trying to follow up on some of the thoughts that I had on that. So I'd, I'd recommend anyone checking the G&D podcast feed for for some more details on this. But there's kind of two battles that are going on here, right? You have the money and then you have kind of the permission to do this. And it seems like Leontis and Yunkin had this big event with the idea that they would have both. It seems like if the problems truly are financial, those can get worked out because that's politics. You follow the money and eventually people get what they want out of it. Um, and they can wring some money out for their part of the state or they can convince their constituents that there is you know, this, the, the funding that will come out of the tax revenue from this, that, or the other special tax district can funnel through to them. And it's actually a win. Uh, even if you have to pay some money up front, it's an investment, but some of these other things I feel like are more substantive hurdles, but it does sound like there, maybe the money is really that. And, and maybe some of the economists who have been screaming for years that stadiums actually aren't a good investment of public money are being listened to here. So where are where is the opposition coming from uh, in terms of the arguments they're making and how easy is it going to be over, to overcome that with just some more money for them? Well, I mean, I think that argument is always going to resonate 
especially with um, uh, taxpayers. And, you know, you have a situation where Josh Harris, owner of the Commanders, obviously, who also owns the Philadelphia 76ers, is trying to build an arena in downtown Philadelphia. And he has made a pledge, no cost to Philly taxpayers. He has said, we are going to shoulder the burden for that. Now, we've asked him about a commander stadium, uh, and, he, and he said, you know, we can't promise that here because football stadiums are much bigger than basketball arenas. But we're rich, basically, and we're going to try to shoulder the burden as much as we can. And, and I think when you get to a guy like Ted Leonsis, who's basically asking the state of Virginia to take out what is going to amount to a $2.8 billion loan when it all gets paid back to give him a new arena – People are like, what are you? How how is that right? How is that possible? So I think they kind of go hand in hand. I know I know what the question is. Like, is it really the the fact that that they haven't done enough to to sweeten the pot for different parts of the state, or or is it really uh, about the money? But I think it's both. I think I think it's they've given these legislators, these lawmakers in the rest of the state, nothing to go back to to their hometowns with. Like, hey, yes, they're building that up here, but you know what it means for you? It means your your tolls are going to be lower. It means we're going to get that new bridge. It means we're going to, you know, have a new hospital. It, it's and, and so that, you know, giving that to the lawmakers in different parts of the state helps them justify the money, helps them say, okay, yeah, we're doing this. And yeah, he is a billionaire. And yeah, we are taking out a huge loan for him. And yeah, he's going to win, but we're all going to win. And I, if they can't do a better job of, of justifying how this is a win for all of Virginia, other than we finally have pro sports, I think they're going to have a really tough time turning this around, um, especially in the Senate. Uh, last thing for Eric Flack. Uh, did they count the, their chickens before they hatch? Because you've also got Bowser writing the op-ed in the Washington Post and making legal threats. I know Monumental is saying, like, we've got lawyers too. We can, we'll, we'll be able to fight this. But there is a tight timeline here. Like, they've got to get started if they want this thing done by 2028. Like, did Leonsis and, to an extent, Youngkin really make a mistake here in how they presented this, even if it ultimately winds up with them in Virginia? There is no doubt they miscalculated. There is no doubt that they did a poor job of organizing a broad coalition before going public with this. Nobody and no lawmaker hates anything more than making it look like they were in the dark like they are not in the room um, where the decisions are being made, that things are going on above their head. So they absolutely did all of those things because if they, had, if they hadn't gotten ahead of themselves, they wouldn't be where they are today, which is one of the two bodies of, 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 the, of the legislature they need to approve this deal saying not on our watch. Um, and, you know, the, that's, that's a, just a miscalculation. There's no other way to say it. Um, and, and there's no other uh, way to size it up. Um, but, but the question now is, you know, can they retroactively fix the mistakes of the recent past 
and and put this deal back together because Monumental says there's no plan B. There's not even a plan A because there's only one plan, and it's to move to Northern Virginia. They're not thinking about Capital One. They're not talking about if it doesn't happen, well, we'll, we'll work with the mayor. They're, that's not something that they are even considering, at least publicly. This is the only plan. So they got all their eggs in this basket, and they're going to have to figure out how to how to put some of these broken eggs back together. Yeah, my my other question is why? Like, why did they? This, this is so embarrassing for them, and po- potentially like cataclysmic in terms of outcomes. Why did they get ahead of it when they could have just stayed quiet and actually gotten the work done before being like, "Hey guys, we got a thing." But I guess we'll. Uh, that's that's part of the investigation ongoing. If there was other stuff happening, uh, if there's investigating to be done, Eric Flack is going to be there to do it. Uh, you can watch him on WUSA nine. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for your time as always, sir. And we'll be watching you on television here shortly. Appreciate it, Greg. Craig, see you soon. Absolutely, bye, buddy. Bye. Have a good one. That's Eric Flack with us here on the Hoffman Show. When we get back, uh, Michael Phillips, we were going to talk to him about the Super Bowl, but I guarantee you he's got insight on this. Uh, Phillips, obviously, for years with the Richmond Times-Dispatch, now hosting on 910 The Fan down in uh, Richmond. He is so plugged in to all stadium things. So we'll continue this conversation with Phillips next.